We are in the final battle. And it's not just the country that is at stake, but it's the souls of mankind. I was talking to my father this weekend, and he says, you know, it looks like Satan has just completely taken over America. He knew he couldn't get to Israel because that's, that's the main goal there. The one thing standing between Israel and destruction is America. The American way. We're the last stand of freedom on earth. And we're seeing it be picked away. And everybody's looking for politicians. They're looking for answers. Uh, they're, looking, they're saying that, oh, you, well, you need to look at the facts and the science for this, this coronavirus. Hey, you know what? We need to get this person in office and we can take care of this. But I would go far as to say this. The church needs to wake up. We're at the final days. I believe that today we are living in the final hours. And I'm not, I'm not making a prophecy here. I'm not going to tell you the day and the time. I, I grew up hearing that stuff. But I believe the days are evil. And we're living in those times. And I chose this, this passage, and it talks about hell in this passage. Because listen, if we're going to learn how to tell people about Jesus, we first have to tell them that there's a problem, that there is a sin problem. And the result of not repenting of your sins is a place called hell. But I want to look at a different part of this passage that a lot of people don't, don't look at. And I've entitled my message this morning, The Best Soul Winners Are in Hell. And you'll see as we go through this passage why I have picked this specific title. And... God, I believe, gave this to me to give to you today. Because I believe that he wants his people to preach Jesus. So that others will not come to this place. Jesus is standing here with the Pharisees, and he's talking with them, and he's seeing that, that a lot of these people in Israel don't want what he has. They don't want Jesus. They don't want the Savior. They wanted Jesus to come as this conquering hero. Instead, he came as the Savior, Jesus Christ. And as he sits there and he continues to tell them this, that they think that the religion, that being rich and wealthy is a sign that, hey, you know what, we're okay. God's blessing us with riches, so we don't have to repent. Isn't this like America? We're rich, we're wealthy, one of the most wealthiest places on earth. Hey, we don't need God. But we're wrong. Look with me at, at uh, Luke chapter 16, starting in verse number uh, 19. It says, there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and he licked his, they, they licked his sores. And it came to pass the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell... He lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, and here it is, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. 
Abraham said unto, them, uh, said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let, him, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if, if one went to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto them, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Let us pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, I come before you this morning, God, and I ask you, Lord, for the revival that this country needs. As we are here, Father, I believe in the final, could be the final moments of our country. I pray, Lord, that your people who are called by your name, God, will repent, turn from their wicked ways, seek your face, God, that you will forgive our sins and heal our land. Use this message, Father, to show the urgency of salvation, that we are not promised tomorrow, God, that the friends and family and loved ones and the strangers we see every day, God, Lord, that this could be their final hour and we could be the final voice that gets to tell them that there's a Jesus who loves them and that can save them. Use me this morning, Father, I pray, God, Lord, that you would just speak to me, through me. God, that your Holy Spirit would move in this place. And God, that we sure, surely would wake up and see that there's a lost and dying world and people who need Jesus. And we need to go tell them. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. So I was studying this and I was thinking, you know, a lot of people don't like hearing about hell. It's just not a very pleasant subject, is it? And in the time of Isaiah, he was living in a time where the people were being rebellious. They weren't following God. And so Isaiah rose up and he starts telling them what's going to happen if they don't turn back to God. And this is what they said to him. He says, now go... Write it before them in a table and note it in a book that it may be for the time to come forever and ever. That this is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord, which say to the seers, see not. To the prophets, prophesy, prophesy not unto us right things. Speak unto us smooth things. Prophesy deceits. He's saying, hey, I don't want to hear about the wrath of God, okay? I want to hear about the loving Savior. I don't want to hear that my sin is causing others to fall into sin. I want you to tell me I'm doing a good job. But that's not what God wants, is it? God wanted them to know that they weren't following Him the way that they needed to follow Him. And because of this, he, the Israel wasn't being the picture of salvation for the world as they should be. And God wanted them to wake up and He said, Isaiah, they won't listen to me. The truth is, ladies and gentlemen, is that there is a place called hell, and it's a very real hell. This was not a story that Jesus was telling. It wasn't a parable. It didn't start in the way that, hey, I want you to speak them. The kingdom of heaven is like unto ten virgins, or the kingdom of heaven is like unto a pearl. No, he said, there was a rich man, and there was Lazarus. He named a name. He said, this is real. Hell is real. Jesus spoke more about hell than he did heaven, because he didn't want you to go there. R.C. Sproul said, Jesus doesn't only re reference hell, he describes it in detail. He says it is a place of eternal torments. Notice it's not singular, it's plural. It's not just, he's not being tormented by one thing, there's many things, according to Luke 16, 23. Of unquenchable, fi unquenchable fire, Mark 9, 43. Where the worm does not die, Mark 9, 48. Where people will gnash their teeth in anguish and regret and from which there is no return even to warn loved ones. He calls hell a place of outer darkness. 
Comparing it to Gihana in Matthew 10, 28, which was a trashed up outside the walls of Jerusalem where rubbish was burned and maggots abounded. Jesus talks about hell more than he talks about heaven and describes it more vividly. There's no denying that Jesus knew, believed, and warned against the absolute reality of a real place called hell. It's important. We have to tell the world that if they don't trust Jesus, they're going to hell. And you don't have to be nice and, 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 and meek about it. There is a place called hell, but you know what you do need to be loving about? Is that there's a man named Jesus and he's, he can save you from those sins. We need to be more vocal about it. You don't go to a doctor and the doctor says, Hey, listen, I'm going to start giving you these, this chemotherapy and this is going to make you feel better. You'd be like, what? No, you're not going to do anything like that to me. But if you go to a doctor and he says, hey, you have a disease, you have cancer, and if you don't get something done about this, you're going to die. And it's going to be excruciating. It's going to be awful. But you know what? We're going to do something about it. Then you're like, yes, I, I, I want, give me that cure. That's what we have. Listen, there's, a, there's a, a sin problem in the world, and people are going to die an agonizing death forever and ever and ever if we don't give them the cure, which is Jesus. My father used to tell me when I first started witness, he said, you can't get somebody saved until you show them that they are lost. Ray Comfort takes the Ten Commandments and shows how you've broken the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. Lying, stealing, blasphemy. And then he takes it and he shows them that you don't match up according to this law that God has. He says, but you know what? Jesus came in and he was willing to pay your fine if you'll just repent and accept it. It makes it, it, makes it better when we explain it. Notice here in our text, in verse number, verse number 19 it says, There was a certain rich man which clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. He was living it up. He had everything he needed. Why did he need to trust God? Listen, he had all the food he wanted. He had all the ladies that he needed. He had all the, the houses that he wanted. I mean, listen, he had no want for anything. He was living it up indulging day in, uh, day in and day out. The purple fine linen that he used, it says that that was taken from a snail. They would, they would take this snail and it would, it would make this, this fine purple to make cloth and it was very expensive because it came in such small quantities. But he had it all. Mark 8, 36-38 says, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? made me think about a couple of people who had died. There was a, a lady named Queen Elizabeth and she said these marks on her deathbed. She said, all my things for a moment of time. And then she died. You know why? Because all the riches and the glory and the power that she had did not amount but to a small time. And then she passed away. Many people are going to pass into the eternity trusting in things. The problem with us in America is we feel like we don't need anything from God. God's something that we do in our small time. We give him a little bit when we have time. And let, let's, let's be honest, sometimes it's we get up in the morning, we do our devotions, but you know what? When we're running late, who takes the back, who takes the back seat? God. Hey, I got to get to work. Work come, comes before the, the word of God. Sometimes we're, we're getting ready to go hang out with some friends or maybe go do something and we're running a little bit late, but you know what? We don't have time to, to read our Bibles right now. We'll do it later. 
It sounds like God's not first in our life when we do that. God needs to be the first. He needs to be at the forefront. He needs to be what we see every day. We need to be going out. Listen, God didn't call anybody to witness. God commanded us to witness. He says, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Are we doing that as a church today? Are we preaching the gospel? And if you say, yes, I do. When was the last time you told somebody about Jesus? When was the last time you literally took your Bible and you opened and you said, hey, I want to tell you something. I want to show you something about Jesus. I used to do this all the time. You just take the Bible and you, you open and you begin to tell them that, that, you know, for the wages of sin is death. Okay, you begin to show them in Revelation that they will stand before a wrathful God if they don't come to Jesus. And then you begin to go through the Romans road and show them how they can come to know Jesus. Listen, hell is real. Psalms 917 says, The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. I believe many of us in America have forgotten God. We've forgotten the commandments and the things that He has said to us that we need to do. Is there a real place called hell? Yes. Where is it? I'll tell you this. It's at the, it's at the end of every unbeliever's life. And that's where they're going to spend their eternity if we don't tell them. John 3.36 says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him forever. Hell is real, and the sad truth is, is that many are going there. Matthew 7.13 says, Enter ye into the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way which leads to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. I wonder why few people find the gate of heaven. I think it's because we're so silent about it. Because we're so quiet. We're so scared. We're with this, this whole uh, thing about, our, our, about not offending anyone. I don't want to offend you because you don't believe in what I believe. I, I don't want to say that because your church doesn't teach that. Well, then I'll tell you this, and they're teaching lies. The truth is, is that we need to show the world what's going to happen if they don't turn to Jesus. Spurgeon said this, he says, Aspire to be something more than mass of church members. Lift up your cry to God and beseech Him to fire you with a nobler ambition than that which possesses the common Christian. That you may be found faithful unto God at, at the last and may win many crowns for your Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. Let's be something more than the mass of church members. Let's be soul winners for God. Listen, I, I'm a witness of this. Anybody can do it. I am not the smartest person in the world. But you know what? I can show somebody what Jesus did for me. And so can you, church. There's no reason the houses shouldn't be filled. I've been going around and getting to preach in different churches. And I can tell you, a lot of the churches are dying. It's like we don't believe that God's still in control, that He's still saving people. But He is. And I believe God put this in here for us today to see this. Number one, what I want you to see today is He begged for comfort. The rich man begged for comfort in hell. And Jesus talked about this in Mark 9.43 if you want to turn there. And He talks about it as better to go to heaven maimed than in hell whole. He says literally it would be better for you to go without an arm or without a leg than to go into hell full body. He says that's how awful hell is. And as he begins to describe this vividly in Mark chapter 9 verse 43, he says, and if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. 
It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell into the fire that never shall be quenched where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. He literally says, and think about this, how it, how it would be. Literally, people, if, if you don't want to go to hell, hell and you want to go to heaven, he says, and your hand offend thee, it'd be better for you to grab a saw and to saw through your arm. Guys, I can't stand blood. My mom will go and get blood work done. I remember I was sitting there watching her one day and there, that blood was bubbling up in that little glass thing. And I was like, is there a chair? Because I need to sit down. My dad looked over at me and I was pale and he goes, are you okay, son? I was like, I don't think so. I think I'm going to pass out. And so I sat down in the chair. You remember, John, you were there. And I sat down in the chair. I was like, oh my gosh. And they start you know, paying attention to you because you they think you're going to pass out. My wife, she was getting ready to, to give birth to our first firstborn son. And I was standing there with my brother-in-law, and they started taking her blood. You remember this, Shannon? And I, I grabbed my brother-in-law, because we were close, and I grabbed Dan. I was like, oh my goodness. He goes, what are you doing? I said, I think I'm going to pass out. And Ian's just like me. He goes, don't lean on me, because I think I'm going too. And we had to sit on the couch. And she was giving the blood. He says, literally, listen, it would be better for you to cut off your arm than to go into hell where the fire is never quenched where the worm dieth not. Verse 45, he says, And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to, to enter into, enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Notice he emphasizes that the fire will never be quenched. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes be cast into hellfire, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Here the rich man lived his life the way he wanted to. Never thinking about God, never giving a thought. And he died and was buried, it says. And lifting up his eyes, being in torments, he saw Lazarus. Notice the rich man has no name given here. Lazarus has the name. The poor man, God mentions Lazarus, but not the rich man. You know why? Because in John 10, 27, he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. We are confident, I say in 1 Corinthians, and willing rather to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Lazarus died and was comforted in heaven because he had a relationship with Jesus. The rich man died, having all his thoughts and his, and his uh, abilities, and went to hell. Because nothing that he did. Maybe he was religious. Maybe he went to the temple and he worshipped. And, and he went as ritual every Sunday, continually to hearing about this Jesus that would come, that would save him from their sins. But you know what? He never repented, and he never trusted. And because of that, he wound up in hell, and Lazarus wound up in heaven. It is not the riches that put the rich man in hell. It is the unbelief in the Savior, Jesus Christ. Sometimes we aspire to do our own things to get us there, and it's not good enough. There's only one way. Narrow is the way. It's just Jesus. The lost on the day of judgment will stand before God. Matthew 7, says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. In other words, get out of my sight. And they'll never see Jesus again. 
One thing that I was realizing as I was studying this, that Jesus is talking to these Pharisees. I could see Peter and James and John and Bartholomew and Matthew, which is called Levi, okay? And James the Lamb. I could see them all standing there as Jesus is talking. You know who was standing in that crowd listening to him talk about religion, talk about riches? It was Judas. See, Judas was religious. Judas did many wonderful works for Jesus. It says that he sent them out two by two. They, they, they were able to cast out spirits and heal the sick, okay, and, and to bless houses and they would be blessed. He did all of these things. And everybody thought he was one of us. But the truth is, is Judas never believed in Jesus. Or he wouldn't have given him up. He was religious. He was a part of them, yet he never trusted in Jesus. And because of that... All the other disciples did great things for God and, and they went to heaven because they trusted Jesus and, and Judas did great things for God and he went to hell. And I believe that when Jesus is saying that, that this man will say, have we not done many wonderful works? Have we not cast out devils, healed the sick? Have we not done those things, Lord? And he says, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, for I never knew you. Because he never had a relationship with Jesus. Jesus is all about having a relationship, church. And if we have no relationship, then we will not just die once. We will die the second death. He became concerned about his family, this rich man, because he wound up in this place. Now he wants his family to hear about the gospel. That they might not come into this place of torments. Revelation 20 verse 10 says, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. No rest, Revelation 14, 11, And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night. It is a place of eternal punishment made for the devil and his angels, and every lost person who does never put their faith in God will end up in that place. And now the rich man is in hell, and he calls out and says, Send somebody to tell my family. How many of us, church, have a family member that doesn't know Jesus. If they died right now, they ended up in hell. They won't go to church. They won't listen to it on the radio. They won't listen to it on TV. They won't listen to it on, a, on an electronic device. But you know what? They might listen to you. It is your job as the church to deliver the gospel to your family, to your friends. You might literally be the only Bible somebody hears. Think about this. How did you first start coming to church? Somebody invite you? How did you first come to know, some, know Jesus? Did somebody tell you? It works the same way. We have to tell people about Jesus lest they enter into this place. Ladies and gentlemen, the best soul winners are in hell because they know the truth. And so do we. John MacArthur said, to warn sinners of the fearful fate that awaits them is an act of sympathy and compassion. But in its zeal to find pragmatic new methods of evangelism, the church has too often abandoned its message. That message must include the bad news of hell, of what happens to those who reject the good news of the gospel, that Jesus died on the cross. He begged for a miracle. I remember I, I, could, I couldn't believe I'd always missed this. 
He begged for a miracle. What was the miracle? The miracle was that, that Lazarus would return from the dead and tell his brothers and his sisters and his family about Jesus, about this place of hell, so that they may, might not enter in this place. And what was God's words? If you look at our text, he says they have Moses and the prophets. He says, let them hear them. And he said, nay, Father Abraham, but if one that went from them to the dead, they would repent because you know, he's back from the dead. He says, if they won't hear Moses and the prophets, neither would they believe if one rose from the dead. The day that Jesus Christ died and rose again, you know what happened? The Bible says that the graves were opened. Matthew 27, 52, and the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints, not the lost, the saints, which slept the rose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. It wasn't just Jesus that they had to believe in. No, many saints got out of the graves and walked into the, the holy city. Could you imagine grandma and grandpa walking in your house and going, Hey guys, how you doing? Hey, by the way, there is a real place called hell and heaven. We just came from heaven. And I'm going to tell you, people need to repent. You know what the Pharisees said? We have to lie to them. We've got we to cover this up. We can't let people know that this was real. They wouldn't even trust then. And that's what he's saying. He says, even if somebody rose from the dead, they would still be narrow-minded. There's only one way that they're going to enter into heaven. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Who better to know the word of God than his people, his followers, us, the Christians? Acts 5.30, he started to remind them of this as, as the apostles were preaching to the first church. Acts 5.30. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom ye slew and hanged on a tree because you didn't believe in him. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be prince and savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost whom God hath given to them that obey him. When they heard that, they were cut to the heart. They were convicted. And look at this, and took counsel how to slay them. They didn't want to believe. Some people won't. You can preach the gospel all you want. I've seen this in, in ministry. I've preached the gospel. I've showed them. You can show some people and they don't. Because it's not just preaching that, that we need to do, Christians. We need to be praying for open hearts. Me and my brother, we prayed for you guys in the service. And I was praying and I think about all the th terrible things and and you see our, our government acting like that. And you know what? You get, you get to where you despise some people. And you get to where you almost hate people because of what they're doing. And I almost cried thinking about it because those are the people that need Jesus the most. And we might not be there to preach. Pray that some, God will send somebody to them that they can know about this horrible place that they enter not in. The reason that they're so sinful, the reason that they're so evil, the reason they think abortion is okay about killing babies is because they don't know what we know. That there is punishment for sin. And we are the ones who are supposed to tell them about this Jesus who came and died for them. He became concerned for, the, for others' eternity. John R. Rice said it is strange and sad that in hell people are so concerned about lost sinners and that up in heaven there's more joy over one sinner that repenteth more than 99 just persons who need no repentance. But we here who have the opportunity to help people be saved do little about it. It's time to wake up. Paul weeped for the lost in Philippians 3, 18 through 21. He said, I've told you often and I'll tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. 
Paul had compassion when he went to Mars Hill and he saw it wholly given to idolatry. You want to do something one day? You ought to Google how many idols are in America. That we literally have ancient idols from Egypt and Rome and all these different places in Greece that they still have set up in these places. That we're still worshiping idols today. Look at Washington, D.C. The Washington Monument is a picture of Nimrod. It's, it's funny how we have these things and we, we were blinded by them and we don't see them. He saw it wholly given to idolatry. Paul waited for them in Athens. His spirit was stirred in him when he saw the, the city wholly given to idolatry. When was the last time your spirit was stirred because you saw lost people? Jesus had compassion. But when he saw the multitude, he would move with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then said he unto his disciples, Remember I told you to pray? The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. You know where he's going to get the laborers, church? Right here at Bethany Baptist Church. My pastor at Summer Grove, Brother Heath uh, Pelican, he gets up every week and he tells the church, you need to go win souls, you need to be preaching, we need to go out. We can't let a virus stop us from giving the good news out because people are dying with the virus and they're going to hell. We've got to give them Jesus. We've got to show them that there is someone who loved them, that he came down and died, even though we were sinful, and gave his life so that we might have everlasting life. At this moment, he believed in Christ, but it was too late. He was in torments. Luke 1 through 10, the one who is able to kill the body and soul, he says, don't fear what man can do. Don't fear the rejection of what man can do to you for delivering the gospel I've sent you out to do. Fear of God who is able to destroy the body and soul into hell. Why are we afraid when we serve such a great and living God? This last song we sang right before this started, shine your light and let the whole world see. Ye are the light of the world. It's time to spread the light. It's getting dark out there. We need to shine the light so that others will see. Mark 6, verse 7, he called unto them the twelve and began to send them out two by two. And he said to them, in, that, in what place soever ye enter into the house, there abide till ye depart from that place. Whosoever shall receive you, whosoever shall not receive you nor hear you, when ye depart, shake the dust off of your feet for a testimony against them. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the Solomon and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. We can't control what people do, and how people respond to the gospel. We can tell them. My children's church pastor used to tell me, he says, just speak in scripture. Scripture is alive. He says, God can use that scripture down the road in that person. I've seen it, ladies and gentlemen. I'll use the scripture and I'll talk to people and I'll give them the gospel and they won't accept it. But you know what happens when they start getting convicted? When, they, when somebody dies... And they know that there's a heaven and a hell, even though they're trying to convince themselves they're not. I had this one boy in our youth group. Actually, I had two, these two boys. One of them's name was, uh, was Gage. He was cool. He played drums. Man, I love this kid. But he never got to that place where he accepted Christ. And then he started hanging out with this other kid. This other kid was an atheist. But he was coming to church. He got to where he'd sit in the youth group and he'd listen to stuff. And one day I preached Jesus, the resurrection. I preached on hell. 
he told me afterwards in the hallway, he said, you know what, I don't believe in this. And I'm not going to come anymore. And his friend Gage, who seemed to start doing a little better, quit coming too. One day I was at uh, Bird High School. I got to preach to see you at the pole. And I was getting done, and as I was getting done, here comes this boy, his Gage's friend. And he came up, and he looked like he'd been crying. He said, Brother Josh, hey, how you doing? I said, good, man, how you doing? He said, not very good. My best friend just died. And I don't know what's going to happen to him. And I said, man, I'm really sorry about that. Can I pray with you? And he let me pray with him. I said, I want to tell you, man, Jesus still loves you. And I can tell this is hurting you. And you know what you need to do. And I don't know if he, needs to do, if he ever did it, but I began to tell him what Jesus did for him again. Ladies and gentlemen, you never know when you're going to, that's going to be the last time you talk to that person. And from the look of it, it looks like he didn't. My, my, my mentor, Brother Tim O'Laughlin, his dad died and he stood there before Southwood High School and he told him, he said, my dad died the other day. And I'm standing here, I'm preaching to you. And he said, I want to let you know, I know he's in hell because he didn't, he didn't trust in Jesus. And he was almost weeping when he said it. And he was telling them about Jesus. That is the goal. That is what God has commanded us to do. You see this man, he tells them, he says, listen, go tell my brothers and sisters about Jesus. He wants them to use the word of God. James 1.21, he says, Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity and naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. He says, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves. The NLT puts it like this. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word of God, uh, the word God has planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. I remember as a kid hearing the word of God preached and being under such conviction. I'd come down to the altar. Ladies and gentlemen, why is the altar so empty today at every church? Even my church. And you think about Summer Grove, how big it is? Barely anybody goes to the altar anymore. Are we afraid of coming before God and humbling ourselves and praying for our nation, praying for those who are lost? Power comes from prayer. The church's power is going to come from prayer. Charles Spurgeon, who, who pastored one of the biggest churches in the world, would stand there and preach. And while he was preaching, underneath the Metropolitan Tabernacle was a hundred souls praying the entire time he preached. There's power in prayer. Man saw, saw uh, hundreds and thousands come to the Lord. Prayer is something that we need to, to take as a, as a weapon of our warfare. It's two things. It's the Word of God and the power of prayer. And if we keep them to ourselves, we'll never do anything for God. Spurgeon said, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. If they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exhortions and let not one go there unwarned and unprayed for. We are the warning. We must go tell them. Spurgeon also said, have you no wish for others to be saved? He said this to his church one morning. Then you, you're, you're not saved yourselves. Be sure of that. Do you have a desire to see people saved? If so, then why aren't we doing it, church? 
Hey, it's Sunday morning and you're preaching awful things to us. But you know what? I have to preach what I feel like God wants for us. And listen, God wants His people to tell them about Jesus. And you are the people to do it. And we can do it. If you left this building today and with a heart and a desire to see soul saved, and you begin to tell every person what Jesus has done in your life, how He saved you, how He, how he redeemed you, how He plucked you out of hell, and you know without a shadow of a doubt that you're going to heaven when you die, I promise you, this place could not contain the people next Sunday. We can do it, church. Let's go do it. Let's go give the gospel to a lost and dying world. I promise you, if Bethany Baptist did that, it wouldn't just stay here. It spread to the other churches, and eventually America that we look as in shambles would be once again the place of freedom and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Jesus would be it. God can do it, church. We just need to wake up. If you have not accepted Christ, don't wait. If you have a husband lady who's not saved, don't wait. If you men have a wife that you know is going to hell, don't wait. If you have children who don't want to go to church, who don't want to hear about Jesus, don't wait. If you have a neighbor who sees you go Sunday morning, Wednesday night to church, and they don't know Jesus, don't wait. Most people will not come to church unless you invite them. Don't wait. Invite them to this place. Give them a gospel. Hand them a tract. Tell them you love them. And that you don't want to see them come to this place of eternal torments. Don't wait, church. Give the gospel of Jesus to this lost and dying world. In uh, Dante's Inferno, there were the words written and inscribed above hell as he made his way through hell. And it said, abandon all hope, ye who enter here. If you wait till that person perishes, it will be too late. This is the last place of hope, is this life. Once they pass from this into the next, there is no hope. They don't go to a place of rest. They go to an eternal fire, which they will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. I want to say this one more thing before I close. I was reading Linsky, and he says, All mercy is ended in hell, even the least mercy, as when a mere drop of water is asked for a tongue that is burned to a crisp. He whose tongues daily tasted the finest wines and the most delectable cooling drinks now burns with a ceaseless flame. Pitiless are the final judgments of God. And this is the illustration. Let men ignore them or, or rave against them now and say they cannot believe in such a God. The facts, sti- the facts stand as they are depicted here. There is a hell and there is an eternal punishment. But there is a Jesus who loves you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're here today and you're not for sure where you're going to spend your eternity, I'm telling you, you're playing with fire, literal eternal fire. Don't leave this place without knowing Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. As we give an invitation, I'll stand right here. Listen, I'll take the Bible. It's not something that you have to do to, to, to jump through hoops. It's the very easy thing to, for you to do. All you have to do is trust in Jesus. Put your faith and trust in Him and call out to Him. The Bible says, For whosoever shall call unto me, says, I will save them. They shall be saved. You can know that. The Bible says in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, perish in hell, but have eternal life. Don't leave here today without knowing. 
You can come down here. I'll take the Bible. Uh, Brother Sam will take the Bible and show you. I'm sure Brother Richard will take the Bible. Brother, we got plenty of people here who know how, what it is to be saved. Don't leave this place. Let's stand with every head bowed, every eye closed. This is the important part, church, of the service. The most important part of all is the invitation. What are you going to do with what you've heard today? Will you hear but hear not? Will you see but see not? Will you understand but not understand with your heart? Don't leave here without doing business with God. If God convicted you in this service, it's a good thing. That's why we come to church. For God to speak to us. But it's what you do in this moment that matters the most. If you're here today and you're lost, my heart is for you. It's broken for you. I don't want you to leave here not knowing where you're going to spend your eternity. In fact, if that's you, I want you to do something because I'm going to pray. And when I pray, I'm going to pray for you. I promise I won't say your name. I won't pick you out. I won't even come to you if you don't want to come forward. But if you're here today and you can't say, Brother Josh, with 100% certainty, I know I'm going to heaven. And I'm concerned about it. Would you do something for me? Would you raise your hand and say, Brother Josh, that's me. I'm not sure I'm going to go to heaven. I don't want to go to hell, but I want to know for sure that I can go to heaven. Is there anybody here this morning? Thank you. Church, this was for you. Let's not let the best soul winners be in hell. Let's let the best soul winners be here at Bethany Baptist Church. Let's go out and deliver the message of Jesus this week. If God has touched you and he's convicted your heart and said you're not the witness that he needs to be, let's humble ourselves before God today. Let's ask his forgiveness and say, God, give me the strength and the power to go out and to preach the gospel this week, to deliver the message of Jesus. I'm going to pray as I do. The altars are open. I would ask you, if you raised your hand for salvation, take the courage and step out. Nobody can do it for you. Only you can do it for yourself. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for this day. I pray for this one, God, that raised their hand, God. Maybe there were more that, that needed to, and they didn't, Father, because they were afraid of what others would think. But we know, Father, that there is joy in heaven over one soul that comes to Jesus. And Father, I know that there will be more joy in this building over one soul that comes to Jesus this morning. God, I pray that they would come forward, that you would take away the fear for perfect love casteth out fear, and that you would save them today. Lord, I pray for this church, God, that you'd set them on fire. God, that they would just be burning with the Holy Spirit to go out and to tell the world what Jesus has done for us. We love you. We praise you. I thank you for what you're going to do here this morning. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Here it is, ladies and gentlemen, the altars are open. Will you come?